welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. All right. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. I'm here with my good buddy, Travis T-Bone Turner. What's up, brother? Hey, man. Longtime friend. We've talked about doing this for years and so glad to finally be on the Knock On TV podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's not that big of a deal, really, but us hooking up has been a big deal. I'm just happy you got to come hang out. This is so long overdue, man. A lot's changed in our lives in the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, a lot of folks don't know, but and a lot of folks do know. But we, we've been friends from way back in the 90s, from competing on the ASA and IBO circuit and such. So, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, been a long time coming, and and we've we've both been blessed to get to chase our dreams and follow our dreams and be pretty pretty successful. So uh, it's it's good that we get to chit chat a little bit. I was at the Iowa Deer Classic. The last uh, uh, yesterday, and then spoke at a Whitetails Unlimited banquet Saturday night, right here outside of Des Moines, Iowa, the land of mega giants. So uh, it's cool to get to come out and I had a day to kill. So we come down here and hung out for today. We've we've got a lot done today, haven't we? Yeah, we have. We just got done um, mm-hmm. eating a mega meal. Actually, your meal was surprisingly small. I mean, <laughs> I was um, yeah, I was sitting there i grilled us out some stuff we we actually cooked on my traeger um which is kind of all i cook on but i had kind of picked the biggest new york strip i could find i was pretty proud of it and then you went for a well you did go for a really nice filet and you were impressed with the iowa with the iowa meat section at our local uh at our local fairway oh yeah we got good meat in georgia but uh we don't have the personalized service and the so many selections. I mean, I, I even did a little did a little video on it. Arby's thinks they've got the meats, but <laughs> the fairway in in your hometown has got the meats. They do. They got some serious stuff. Well, we're um we're actually streaming live too right now um, with our Insta followers. So make sure you guys continue to monitor me and Travis both. Um, from time to time i like to jump in live it's fun and it disappears so that's kind of the bummer is once it's gone it's gone but um i know i've got a few things that i want to talk about later in the podcast but while we have some listeners that are watching live let's um look at a few of the questions and uh one of the questions that i saw was what is your favorite um type of food plot Oh, my favorite type of food plot. Well, it depends on the region that you're hunting or whatever, because you want to get something that is uh, conducive to the soils. You want to make sure that it's um, uh, going to grow where you're at, based off the weather. Excuse me, that's my fillet talking to me. <laughs> but um, uh, it, down in the south, I guess my, my I, we use Arrow Seed is the the seed company that we use. But uh, a good a forage oat is a produces ton, a lot of tonnage, so you're going to have plenty for them to browse on, and the deer really love it, and it grows good throughout the whole fall and uh, winter season, and it's it's really drought tolerant and it's really cold tolerant. But uh, I know up here in the north, it's really nice to get some brassicas, 
stuff that's going to have a high sugar content once it gets cold. Turnips do good. Uh, rape does real well in the south, but uh, uh, a lot of times where, we're, where I'm at in the south, you just can't plant large enough like soybeans or, or corn. You just can't get enough. They always hammer yeah. it. Yeah, it doesn't last long. But That's the problem with some of the row crop. If you can't actually <laughs> fence it off. See, here on my place... If I grow corn and leave corn, that can stay and still be good for late season. Um, It's not good during the earlier or mid-season standing corn, but they really like it late. But with beans, I can never hold them long enough to have a good late season hunt. So I've really found that planting a food plot that actually has a mixture of a lot of those different things that you said. You know, I like to use um, either oats, um, buck forage oats, or a winter um, wheat or a winter rye, depending on your soil type, as a cover crop, but then work in some of those different, you know, radishes, turnips. Um, I had to make a, I had to make a beverage call. <laughs> I forgot my wine glass, and that's kind of, I enjoy the wine. T-bones. And he's got someone that delivers it. That's what I'm impressed with. Well, do you want your water? No, I'm good. He has to drive tonight, so... Um, yeah, you can't have any of this, but I'll have it for you. Um, no, I really, I've really, i done really well with planting radishes, turnips. I plant a variety because sometimes if you get real heavy rains or sometimes if you get real heavy drought, um, one will work over the other. So having some diversity, I think, is really good. But, you know, green plots are probably the best for the longer stretch of time throughout the season, yeah. whereas a row crop is is absolutely number one during late season and one thing for all you listeners out there um, this is a good tip actually Um, the odds if you can if you want to not wait a long time to draw some of the midwest states that takes a long time to draw during the regular season the later season tags have a very, very high percentage um, draw rate. So if you can find a location that has standing row crops during the late season, it can be a great time to get a tag way faster. And, you know, especially if you can find a place where you have a blind and you're able to um, have the food source, even though that season is shorter. You're, you know, and the reality is most people only have seven days off work to, to go on a hunt yeah. or whatever. Don't look past that time ap- literally after Christmas until the end of the season. I know here in, um, in Iowa, Christian Berg from um, Peterson's, he actually put in or he drew a tag with me last year in my area. But then this year he put in for a late season tag. Um, in a different area and got the late season tag. So um, don't be afraid to put in for the late season tag. But other than that, I like green for 80% of the time and row crop for 20%. Yeah, especially for this area in Iowa and the Midwest, that works great. The the uh, it, you, you speak right, too. You can draw that tag, and it's the deer are thinking with their bellies, too. So it's a lot easier to condense them and once something that i really like about that late season is mornings is not as productive so we get to sleep in then yep yep sleep <laughs> just in. on the evenings yeah sleep in hunt to eat actually what you do is um i really like to go out about the time when you feel like every deer's bedded down yeah so i mean i really like to hunt right from about lunch. yep 11 15 to 5 15 yep you got a five hour hunt 
get out there um, in time to get in there, get quiet, let the you know let your scent settle down and everything, and and go from there. Um, we had a lot of people asking us about broadheads, and I think broadheads is one of those subjects where um, T Bone and I can both be fully gray. I mean, obviously, I'm kind of gray. You got I'm, some. Oh yeah. You've got some sprinkles coming in the beard yeah. too. I, I'm good on the sides too. I got gray. That's just. I think that just matches your hat. Yeah. <laughs> so what's what? What do you think for broadheads? And we should probably break this down. Let's say let's break this down to to medium animal, meaning uh, deer, antelope, mule deer, and then let's go large animal with uh, elk and moose. Yeah, there uh, the broadheads. There's a lot of good broadheads on the market today, and we're not going to sit here and say, or, or I, I certainly am not going to say that one. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good designs, I should say. Something that I am not a fan of, personally, is a um, mechanical broadhead that has to fold over itself to come to A jackknife style? Yeah. Um, yeah. I just think it hinders the kinetic energy. Um, I think you're opening yourself. I'm not saying that they can't kill deer. However, um, I, sometimes I think it hinders the penetration because it does rob the arrow of some penetration on angle shots and such like that. So anything that is a rear deploying, uh, uh, I, I'm a big fan of. Now, if we're breaking it down in animal size, we're just assuming that we're talking about an adult guy's bow, something 55 yeah. pounds to 70 yeah. pounds, the meat and potatoes of what everybody's shooting. Right. Um, uh, by all means, uh, the, the, me- the mechanicals have really changed the way things have been in the last 10 or 15 years because you can get the field point accuracy you don't have to worry about aerodynamics, and then plus you're having a larger cut once it gets there. So I'm a big fan of the the rear deploying like that. It's been a game changer with both of us uh, having backgrounds in tournament archery. We yeah. strive for that that super duper accuracy. And I know I was always let down years ago when I'd shoot all year long and was used to a certain size group, real tight groups, all the way 40, 50, 60 yards, and then you screw your broadheads on there. And I have the capabilities of tuning them. But but even tuning them, indexing them, lining them up, and everything, I still couldn't get the accuracy that I could with the the field points. I'm, you 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 know you have to. We could talk about this for a long time, but if you're talking about a larger animal, um, you know I, I'm a I like the cut on contact. You know something that's yeah. really sharp, uh, like a. What do you um, go for? G- like you probably striker, right? Yeah. Yeah, and the, the striker mo- is probably well. And this is actually a good conversation because obviously T-Bone is a big G5 advocate. Um, I really like um, the Rage and the some of some of the Muzzy products specifically. So I've really, but I try everything. You know, this year at the ATA show, I probably spent more money at the ATA show than I spend the rest of the year. And what I'm doing is just every one of these people that have a broadhead that. Is trying to like sell it. I just buy I just buy some full price, and I just really like to to lob a whole bunch of broadheads down range. But the reality is, when it comes down to it, the striker definitely in the top three of all time for accuracy. Um, the trocar very good, and then um, that slick trick yeah. is a dang good shooter too. Yeah, and actually a ramcat on a lot of my bows has been very surprising. Right. Yeah, and that's like being totally unbiased. Yeah, and then again, like we said to begin with, um, there's a lot of broadheads that will do the job for you big time. I mean, this is one category that 
that is really wide open. When it comes down to it, it's what you have to have confidence in as far as the quality, and it's what you have to have confidence in as far as the accuracy. So that's the biggest thing. Shot placement is going to be key. I mean, truth be known, I mean, I'm not going to ad be an advocate for this, but you can actually, you know, kill a deer with a field point, uh, you know, if you got the shot placement right. Yeah. Well, when it comes to mechanicals, um, what are you shooting the Havoc? Nope, shooting the T3. And then oh, that's the, right. The new one, I've got some of the, the, the they're not going to hit the market. The new one they got this year is called Dead Meat. That's the name of the broadhead. What is it like? So it's basically, uh, the, it's built very similar to the uh, T3, except for um, the, you can change it. So one broadhead, you can have, the, the back end of the ferrule is, it's all steel. The back end of the ferrule, you can have 125 grain, 100 grain. Oh, I get it. Or uh, you can uh, make it fit a deep six. Oh, nice. So, so you got one broadhead, one head. It's like an interchangeable multi-tool. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good exactly. idea. And I'm real big on FOC it. to make sure yeah. that you... And, and uh, 125 grain heads have not been as popular as of late. So um, it's been great to be able to boost your FOC by putting a heavier uh, insert in the rear of the shaft. Front of the shaft. Front of the shaft, I'm sorry. <laughs> Behind the broadhead. <laughs> front of the shaft, has yeah. gone down the... Yeah. Down the... P-O-T-T-Y if we uh, do it that way. So the FOC goes up by putting a heavier, but a lot of times people can't do that or some areas don't offer brass ones, whereas you want to shoot a 125, but if you try to shop a 125 grain broadhead, it, it really goes down. So you can tell all the innovations and all the engineering goes into a 100 grain broadhead. Well, that's the cool thing about this one broadhead is you can change the weight of it by changing the rear end of it, the, the ferrule part of it, the the um, steel shank that goes inside there so I'm, I'm real impressed with that easy to change the blades no um, rubber gaskets no retention spider rings it has a delron clip system i'm really uh, excited about the new it's design. delron yep yep the back the back clip where the blades click in it's oh. got like a ball that's built onto it and it just snaps into place so. i have to see those yeah i like seeing all of them and um you know i'm a i'm a big um hypodermic guy and I, I really like the you know i really like the the new tripan but i actually love what I, what i like about um you know and i i actually represent rage so you know i want to disclaim that but i represent them by choice and they also allow me to to mess around and you know they they want my feedback for other products so the ones that i've mentioned to you guys are certainly ones that i like and actually um, if you go back in some of the first seasons of the Knock on TV, um, in some of the first seasons I hunted with Seppi out in South Africa, and um, I made a pretty amazing shot on a black wildebeest at a very, very long range, and that was with a T3. Yeah. And it had phenomenal penetration. Yeah. Um, and those things... Even though they don't look like it, those MIM style ferrules and blades are surprisingly sharper than what they appear. Yep, yep, they are. And a MIM process is a kind of an injected metal to where it's while it's still plied, pliable, it's injected and and formed into a, a position. But it's not aluminum. Yeah, it is steel. And uh, been real impressed with the tolerances and stuff that they they offer. Oh yeah. Well, what um. If you were to shoot moose or elk, have you shot moose and elk with mechanicals? No, dude? I have not. No. You haven't? No. I've shot mo I've shot 
most of mine with one. I've not shot a moose, period, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We need to go on a moose hunt together. Yeah. That would be fun, yeah. actually. Yeah, but I think, uh, you know, check with your rules and see if it's if, if it's legal, but I would I think I would shoot it with the, the dead meat for sure, with the poundage and kinetic energy because I shoot a heavy arrow. But, you know, if I was to tell someone to, to rather be safe than sorry if you were shooting under 65 or under 60 pounds, you might want to lean towards that striker or a cut-on-contact style head, something with some Lutz blades that's really sharp. Yep. We've got one more question. We're going to answer one more question from the live Instagrammers, from T-Bone's followers here. And um, people are asking, like, what minimum equipment they should use to start out for self-filming. And I'm actually going to grab my... Since you asked that question right behind me, right there, is actually um, my bag. Now, I'm a low-budget self-filmer, so... This guy gets like camera guys in the whole nine yards, so he's probably not the best one to answer the question. No, but, there's uh, a lot of nice Sonys and stuff. While he grabs his stuff there, you can, there's a lot of Sony cameras, and uh, I, I'm not actually the perfect guy to ask on that. Our production guys are, but <laughs> you can get away with a lot less is more uh, this day and age than, than what we had to start off with. Right here is my case, people. This is what I travel with on the plane and everything. This is literally all I've got and uh, pretty pretty low budget. So for those of you listening, you get to hear Velcro and you're uh, getting to hear me open up my bag. But more or less, I travel with two things. I travel with a, a Nikon D610 um, with a... 24-70 lens. Um, this is a DSLR. I travel with this for all my photography and also some of my filming where I'm in a fixed position and I'm able to really self-focus. You know, focus. DSLRs are hard because if you're following something that's moving like rutting whitetails, it's yeah. really, really tough. You have to have an expert. But if you're hunting a water hole or if you're hunting over decoys with turkeys to where they're coming in slow and they're strutting then you can make it work. But otherwise, this is what I film a lot with when it comes to actually just filming my hunt because this can go in my pack. And it's just a, uh, this is a Canon and it's an XH, um, an XA20, um, I think. That's been, yeah, XA20. This is a little bit old now, but you can get these for like two grand. Yeah. Um, and really, if you're self-filming, what the things that you should really um, key in on are having an extended battery, you know, get an extended battery, and then also getting a good thumb remote. And also the last thing would be a good tree arm or a tripod. Those things are really what you need for self-filming. Um, and a wireless I, mic too. Yeah. I recommend a wireless mic too. Yeah. The wireless mic are, are dynamite. I've actually, I use my mic and I use my DSLR whenever I'm doing like the intro to the hunt. Yeah. If I'm doing my recoveries or if I'm like leading into the hunt or say I'm in the stand giving a tech tip. But when it comes to me just trying to capture my moment, I try to keep it really as simple as possible. And the other thing too is, um, and I don't know if I have it in here. Yeah, I do actually. So I've got a GoPro. And with the GoPro on Amazon, I actually bought just a little small hot shoe bracket that mounts to your GoPro. And what that allows you to do, this has got me out of a lot of sticky situations, is it allows you to slide your GoPro on top of your camera just like this. 
um, so that when you're filming, you can actually hit record on your GoPro and you're filming wide, and then you can do your best to, to run your, your camera on what you're trying to film. And if by chance, you know, your focus is out of whack or you forget to hit record on one, at least the other one's going. Yep. And it works really, really well. Last year, um, one of the better hunts that I had was when uh, Christian Berg from Peterson's came here and hunted with me. And that's a really good hunt to look at if you want to see, like, that GoPro angle on top of the camera versus the GoPro uh, or versus the regular camera itself. But really, for for 2500 bucks, you can get set up pretty good. Otherwise, you know, there's probably even cheaper options now, yeah. really. Yeah, I right. mean, this was, like, probably four years old now, this stuff. Yep, I've got a Sony uh, A400 <laughs> that I use a lot for just filming with my son and, and and it's we've actually filmed some hunts in Pennsylvania, New Jersey with it and it's it's production quality. So, and I don't think you can get those for like 450 bucks now. Oh, dang. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's probably what I should do. No, no, no. You got a good <laughs> setup. I need to upgrade. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to we're going to wave goodbye to all the See you guys. In- Instagram livers. Um bye everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate yep. it. Hang and in, uh, hang in there. We're going to have this on a podcast and we'll let you know when it's going to go up. Yep. And then uh, let us know what you think. Go on, go over to the all our our Facebook pages and tell us what you think. All right, see you everybody. So, some of the um, some of the conversations that I wanted to get into was Is it still going. Yeah, we're still going. I hit the wrong button. Um, bye everyone. Uh, we talked about you actually were shooting 3D tournaments earlier, like on a on a high level. Earlier than I thought. Yeah. Yep. Because you said, hopefully we don't, we've got the worst luck in Iowa between our internet connection and now we've got like massive lightning storms rolling yeah. in. So if our power, if our power drops, that's going to kind of bite it. But um, what was, what was your first tournament like against actual pros? I mean, you were pretty far ahead of me with that. Yeah, um, I started shooting. Well, I started shooting a compound bow and shooting period in 1988, and uh, I bought a bow on a Wednesday. Bought it with my buddies. We went to our first tournament that Sunday. I'd owned a bow five days, <laughs> and uh, we signed up. There was thirty. There was thirty-eight people in the novice division, and it was a local 3D tournament. Actually, it wasn't even 3D. It was a paper targets with the pencil lines in there. Oh but yeah. It was a, that was a 3D animal style round. Didn't know the yardage, and we judged it and everything. And um, you know, I was happy just because I beat my six buddies we had all went with, and then turned our scorecards in, and I happened to win the whole thing. So <laughs> owned a bow of compound five days, and I'm like, you know what? I've I've never been good at anything. I, I was, uh, uh, you know, sports wise, I played football and I got me a Letterman's uh, jacket and everything like that. But just for the ladies, that's the only reason I got that. And then <laughs> wait, I, it was so bad that. <clears throat> The coach, whenever we do our time trials for 40-yard dash, you know, he'd be hitting the stopwatch every time. And then when I'd come up to the line, he'd go, whoa, 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 whoa. And he'd put his stopwatch down. And he'd pick his calendar up. All right, Turner, go. You know, <laughs> oh, so that's how bad it was. But um, anyway, uh, I was just proud. I, I, you know, I'd never really been good at, at, at sports. i just kind of done them. And, and archery, it seemed like I took to like a fish to water. So I started competing before I even killed a deer with a bow. And I killed a deer, and then in uh, 90, 1990, I was fortunate enough to win a state championship, and then I was asked to be on the national team for uh, Browning 
in at the end of 1990 to start off the 91 season. Me, Jesse Moorhead, uh, Ted Cotton, uh, Claude and Susan Thompson, and um, Randy Hendricks. Yep. Um, we were all we were the six people that were on the national team for Browning, and we toured around and shot all the IBOs and ASAs. Uh, well, it wasn't ASA then; it was actually the Wayne Pearson Tournament Trail. Yeah. And that that was uh, we we were paid by Browning to do that. So uh, we had a successful manufacturers team. That's when they had a you know well they still do have a three man IBO team. Yeah. So it was on that, and then uh, for the AS the Wayne Pearson Tournament Trail, which was a, a a world championship in itself, I was lucky enough to win that. Now they didn't have a actual uh, men's pro division back then. They had men's uh, release fixed pins and then they had men's open well back then most the there was way more money in the fixed pin so all the pro shooters of even today shot in that class very few people shot in the open division so there was 530 something people in the class and and uh i happened to win it in the year of 91 so <laughs> call it a blind hog finding an acre and i was the luckiest guy that year and then uh shot i've been shooting sponsored or partners with some type of bow company since then and i've been with hoyt since 1996 21 years with hoyt that's crazy yeah that is crazy that's yep. good for you though that's awesome yep it just shows how old we are <laughs> i don't know or how loyal yeah i'm still pissed at your football coach screw yeah. that guy <laughs> what a dickhole no <laughs> i mean yeah i mean but that's the you know what that's the beauty of archery and that's what um that's what I love about this sport is it's not age restrictive. It's not weight restrictive. It's That's not right. gender restrictive. I mean, you know, you can... That's probably important nowadays. You can be in, <laughs> you can be in whatever you want. Yeah. You can be a good archer. <laughs> um, no, that's so important because, you know, we've seen time and time again... Um, guys come into the like into the world cup series and in the, the stuff like that that are in their 40s and are just starting to shoot bows and they shoot like at their apex and obviously you know through the nasp programs the amount of kids that you see that literally are doing that aren't like quote unquote cool and anything else in their school, but they're at, literally representing their yep. their schools, and they're at the NASP World Championships. That's really what this sport's all about: is being able to embrace anyone that's, and it's an individual sport too, which I'm a big fan of. I just feel like, you know, one thing that I didn't like about football is, you know, my stats. There were times where I'd throw three picks in a tournament, but then. You know, people wouldn't realize that if I audibled a 73 and the kid didn't know his plays and he ran a quick in when I called a quick out and I threw the ball out there, he's going 20 yards the other direction. Uh, You know, it seems like if you have to rely on a team all the time, as much as I love team sports and I love shooting on, you know, Team USA with team members, but... I love individual sports where you're able to really see what you put in yourself. Yep. And that's what you get with archery. Yeah, and it's closely related. One of my favorite sports to watch is golf. I don't really enjoy or have never really taken up to it, but 
um, you know, I love football, baseball, and all, and I love to watch it, but uh, I really, really follow golf closely. I'm a huge fan of it. Like to go and to you events. don't even really play? No, I don't really play. I just love to watch it because it's the closest sport that you can watch that is the closest thing to an archery tournament. Because the accuracy. Accuracy, uh, undulation of the ground, the weather, the wind, yeah. the suppressing your nervous energy. All those things come into play as far as being... Uh, you know the the what makes you muscle memory uh, consistency uh, you have to read all those things judging distance judging yardage so they're very close closely related and no one else to depend on um, maybe you can blame your caddy a little bit but that <laughs> other than that they're very similar sports so that's why I like that like watching golf so much but another thing about archery is no matter how good you are you can always get better oh there's, yeah there's no matter how many tournaments you win you can always get closer to the center of the center and it's uh you know we related we was talking earlier today about how it's like nascar meaning you you not only have to work on yourself muscle memory mental game is such a huge part of it we, mm-hmm. we all talk about that but you have to be a good mechanic too you have to know your equipment you know you have to know you know how to build a better mousetrap and to try things and arrow uh combinations so all these things come together to make the the perfect storm and 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 it's neat to see i mean as many years as i've been doing it since 87 88 how just tinkering i just love tinkering and finding better ways to make things more accurate and better penetration i just love everything about it you know what's funny is i actually feel like i feel like i really wish when i was at i gotta figure out how to phrase this I kind of wonder if I totally, like if I didn't have a family, if my heart was 100% into competing, I actually feel like I could possibly be a better competitor or a higher level competitor at this age right now. I'm at 40. Um, I don't know if that would totally be truthful, but I really feel like with the like with the knowledge I've gained and also with age you start to you start to learn what stuff is petty and what stuff makes sense and just some of the stresses and even learning how to how to cope with traveling, you know, yeah. and and really paying attention to detail and remembering stuff and knowing your body better on how you're affected by your diet and like not feeling like you want to go to a tournament and stay out and hang out with everybody at the outback till 1230 at night and then try to get, you know, try to make yourself go to sleep for three hours before you're, you know, you know, you're waking up with your blood pressure beating through your neck because you're trying to process a blooming onion and 24 (laughs) ounces of porterhouse that you tried to choke down in front of everybody. I mean, all that little stuff, I feel like I could compete smarter, but in the same sense, I don't think I could compete at that level because at that time I was all in. Yeah. Versus now, it's like, you know, I've got a family. I'm not, it's not like I can take hours of practice every day. It's not like I'm really eager to travel again. But I really feel like if you were that person where you had never done any of this and you turned 40 and you just sold your company to some, you know, Google. I think you could go out and be the best archer in the world. There's two There's two things that I, I, I understand exactly. It's a catch-22 scenario, meaning, yeah, I feel knowledge-wise and uh, experience-wise, I, I, you know, and even when I shoot a local tournament or whatever, it's like, 
man, it's still there. You know, I mean, I think you could tweak a little something and you could be competitive out there. And I, I really feel that. But the two things that I, that, that, and, and plus financially, you know what I mean? Like yeah. back then we were hungry and it was like, Hey, I, I, man, I've scraped together every dime I got just to go to this tournament and knowing that, that you're dead broke if you don't win something, <laughs> you know I mean? That's a added pressure that you don't need. Yeah. Whereas financially now, you know, you could afford the entry fees, no problem. And it's not a problem to go to compete, but um, two things, um, I'm a little older than you, so my eyes are going, so yeah. I see that as a hindrance. So yeah. once you get that early 40s, I've always had perfect vision all my life, but in the last two or three years, um, I can see that they're going. I used to always laugh at those guys that had to wear the reading glasses to set their sights and all. But Well, that's I, what changed Ulmer. Yeah, I'm that guy when his When his eyes changed, that's when he, yep. I think that's when his competitive career change when yeah. he had to get the LASIK at first it was good but then when he had to get his repairs and stuff it seemed like that super sharp detail yeah went away yeah and but you know as far as knowing about the shot as far as doing all the the things that need to be done absolutely I mean I got the confidence I wish I could go back in time I wish I could go from take my knowledge and everything and go back to being a early 20s and everything it'd be neat to see you know just curious as a you know what if we're having an uncle rico moment aren't we yeah. from napoleon dynamite <laughs> see that mountain i could throw that ball right over there <laughs> what's funny is for some reason um don trump jr saw a picture of me in high school playing football or maybe it was like my first year of college and then he actually sent a thing with like me and that football picture and then uncle rico and he's like is this you <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was like yeah exactly <laughs> well other than your eyes i mean physically other than like vision i think physically you could compete at any archery level you want up until those ages oh and t- yeah until i guess until sight you know especially when you know i think there's a point you know i think you know i know a lot of archers that once they hit like 50 or 60 a lot starts to change but um, strength wise and just like muscle mass but um, I don't know it's interesting I've always thought about that of you know I really I I wanted it then but I was also in a totally different mental place That's and right. I feel like a lot of I feel like if I could have put everything together the way I can the way you know I don't know just you learn things in life it's hard to explain but it's probably like I bet you it's like that with UFC fighters too to where they're like, man, if I had these kinds of knowledge and intuitions oh, yeah. and re- and like instincts that I know why certain things happen, but then I had the reaction speed that I had at that age. Oh yeah, it would be probably crazy. Oh, I know. There's all there's always going to be those what ifs for sure, and and uh, you know, in, in my mind, always travels back to that because I I so enjoyed. And wouldn't change anything about my tournament career. I mean, from 88 to the early 2000s, I, I shot, and very rarely did I miss a tournament. But mm-hmm. I, uh, and, and the, the, the camaraderie, well, it, it turned me into who I am today, you know. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I would not, you know, just from a competitive standpoint, it was like, yeah, I wish I could go back. And I'm sure the golfers are that way, you know. We're, we're seeing Tiger Woods go through it right now, you know. It's yeah. like uh, poor old, you know, the father time is knocking on his door, and we're seeing it too. But you know, by no means, if anybody's listening or whoever's listening, I don't want. I know John feels the same way. We're not. We're not uh, saying that we're not thankful for ex- for exactly what we've got because we are truly, truly blessed to 
to be making a living in this industry and uh you know it, it the things that i went through got me to where i am now the platform that i have now so i'm i'm super grateful but i mean who doesn't have those what if moments you know like man the uncle rico moment <laughs> it is really storming here guys i'm you know, like serious yeah it sounds like something's something crazy's blowing in what was your asa number 862 that's great what's weird is mine was 697 yeah, 862. And I don't know why that is because uh, I've been an ASA member ever since there was one, you know, so um, I, I don't know the reason. I don't I know think if I got it re-upped or something like that. But When did the when did the ASA, um, because we had the ASA up here even though I wasn't traveling down to like the big five. Yeah. Um, I forget when that started. 93. Okay. Yep, yeah, started in 93. First tournament under the ASA, which is a pro a pro-am tournament tournament. It was still going strong. Uh was in Gainesville, Georgia, and uh after the first day in the the first men's pro ASA division we're, there we're good cuz we're running live on my uh computer battery oh, so cool. to speak. So that's still going too? I think so. <laughs> yeah, I see a blue light in there. <laughs> We've totally got the power out. But yeah, I think I think we're podcasting. So hopefully we are. We got yeah. we got power bopping. Well, good. Yeah, so we've got power outage, hanging out in the dark. My wine glass is empty. And we're uh, a good thing that we're in the basement because I, I, <laughs> there might be an F five tornado going on out there. Yeah, boy, well, it's rough. But it uh, is. Yeah, it was the, the 90, 1993, It was the first official pro men's and women's classes and uh i led after the first day and then uh um actually i ended up fourth for the whole tournament at the end of the tournament and uh jeff hopkins actually won it well that's and what's crazy is jeff actually lives not too far from here um it's funny how big deer attract big hunters huh (laughs) (laughs) yeah big deer uh bring everybody to the same area well, what um, you've been following, I don't even know what's beeping in here. Something's beeping. I'm not sure really what it is, but I guess because all the power's out everywhere. But um, you've been following, I guess, some of the stuff that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Is there any subjects that you've seen me go down that you want to talk about on a podcast? Um, we built it. We tore down a whole bow today, by the way, um, on the on the Facebook live we actually took someone's bow that accidentally he actually let was trying to shoot a release with some kind of different method and let go of the release and it shot into the bow and uh so i kind of heard the story and felt like maybe i could help out by rebuilding the bow for him we ended up getting a new uh riser and we did a full bow build and then we went through which was kind of which was really fun for me because i got to see how you did things and you got to see a few little things for me yeah absolutely and it just goes to show you i mean there's a we use the terminology a lot today there's more than one way to skin a cat and uh you know it's just people have different different reasons why they tie strings in tie peeps and everything like that and the cool thing about following you and you know this is a pat on the back is uh and i like to think that i'm the same way is that there's logic and common sense behind the reasonings and the things we do yeah you know it's rather than just like hey i do it this way well why do you do it that way we 
both have deep explanations as to why we do it that certain way and, 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 and why we like it that way. doesn't mean that one's better than the other. It's just they're both, uh, it's like going to two different routes that Siri tells you to go. You're going to get to the same place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, we did a few different things, um, slightly different. You tied your peep in a little bit different than I did, um, which was for a reason. He, he likes to tie his peep in fully actually wrap all the way around the string whereas um, I actually tie above and then tie below and then put a tie around the peep that way if I ever have to move the peep or remove the peep it's a little bit easier but then our D loop ties were well they were different they were the same in the end yeah. result but how we got there were slightly different yeah the, the, the um, reason the I mean the reasons we tie it is is uh, the same it's just the I, I really like the way you tie your knots as far as making sure that everything's compact, that it can't space out. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty neat. I, I I'm looking forward to implementing that when I get home, trying that. Well, we're hitting about the 40 minute mark. This is a little bit short for most of the podcast, but we don't really know how much longer the power is going to last, and. It's actually starting it's to hail. hail. It's hailing outside. <laughs> what the hail? Yeah. Um, so we got to deal with that. But listen, everybody, um, I can tell you, Travis is an awesome guy, one of the legends. You can probably hear that by now on the mic, but definitely going to be one of the legends of all time. And um, man, you've been awesome to me. Travis and I shot when I came and I turned pro. Travis and I shot together many days, and uh, we had some really, really good times. And it's just funny how this whole map, you know, like whirlwind happened. Just yeah, we've been reminiscing all day. You know, uh, we've, I've spent the whole day here with John, and and uh, we've been reminiscing about old times. And it's just neat to to kick up old memories 20 years ago of all the people <laughs> that we we've shot with. And you know, he he's got such a good career. He went international and met his wife overseas and you guys all know of his story over there but it's kind of funny that the the one common denominator common denominator would be uh shooting bows and hunting for big deer and here we are in iowa oh my gosh his phone has just went off and it says take shelter now tornado warning in the area so yeah with that said (laughs) thanks everybody for tuning in to knock on we're gonna find shelter away from uh, this room with about 6,000 inches of elk antler ready to start spinning and spears in the back. So yeah, <laughs> Thanks everybody. Make sure you check out Travis or T-Bone, I'm sure as you know he, as you know him. Yeah, on all social media, T-Bone Outdoors and uh, hey, we, we love hearing from y'all. See y'all on the road. Alright, knock on everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com